Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And it is time to highlight another incredible mom boss today. You guys, we are speaking with Camilla Marcus. She is one incredible woman. She's a chef. She's a restaurateur of Westbourne in New York City, which I hope if you have not already had a chance to eat there, we will all get a chance to eat there again soon enough. But today she's going to also chat with us a little bit about restaurants and the hospitality industry in the wake of COVID and what she and um, other independent restaurant owners have been doing to band together and try to save this vital industry and really provide for its incredible uh, group of of employees um, who are obviously really struggling with uh, closures and and social distancing and everything else going on right now. Um, So just a really insightful, cool conversation if you're someone who likes to eat at restaurants or go to a bar or be taken care of somewhere out of your home, I think you're really going to learn a lot about what it means to be a part of that industry right now and definitely some cool ways to get involved and, um, and help to save those industries as well. So here is our conversation with Camilla. Hi, I'm Camilla Marcus. Uh, I'm the mom of one beautiful boy, nine months old, Gray, and I am the chef owner of a restaurant called Westbourne in Soho, New York. And where can we where can we follow you? Uh, you can follow me at, at camilla.marcus. Uh, you can also follow at roar.ny and at uh, INDP restaurants, um, Roar and the IRC, which are fighting to save restaurants in the U.S. in wake of in the wake of the pandemic. Um, so talk to us a little bit. Just give us a little bit of background on you and 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 what you do in your your restaurants, and and then we'll delve in. Yeah, born and raised in Los Angeles. Um, been in food in restaurants uh, for over a decade, all different types of jobs, and opened my restaurant uh, about two and a half years ago called Westbourne in Soho. It's the best. It's so yummy. <laughs> it's so good. There is a banana like a banana foster yogurt granola situation, you guys, mm. that I dream about with a turmeric drizzle that is beyond. There is a shiitake mushroom sandwich that is ridiculous. There is there is a shaved cauliflower and cheese salad. I'm describing these things like because the, I they're so simple but so perfect and it's but they exactly sound very a- different. <laughs> they found so they, it's not like it's not like you go into the average place and you find that. No, especially the first banana foster with like. What did you turmeric on it? I've never think never would have thought of that one. Be, okay, well, wait, um, Camilla, is the checks is the checks um snack mix available online right now? It is indeed. Okay, well, that's what you all need to go check out then, because if you like like a sweetly spicy, salty, crunchy snack, it's happening. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Um, so we are LA inspired, vegetable forward, mission driven. We've partnered with Robin Hood since day one, giving 1% of every purchase, uh, to a local organization called The Door for hospitality training for youth in the neighborhood. And then we hired from the program. And then in addition, actually, basically the week of COVID when we shut down, we were named, um, True, which is the organization that does lead certification. Mm-hmm. We were the, named the first zero waste certified restaurant in Manhattan. So. What does that mean for people who aren't clear on zero waste? So it's sort of like a lead for sustainability for buildings. Um, but we were actually the first restaurant in New York to go through their certification process. So it covers a lot of different things. One of the biggest is for a year. 
every single month, you have to show that you've diverted over 90% of waste away from landfill, which means composting Mm. or recycling. Um, And then it goes through a whole point system similar to LEED. And then you go in different categories based on purchasing, training, hiring, um, supplier partnerships. I mean, they basically go through every level of your organization and ask you to essentially prove, you know, what your sustainability practice is sort of inside and out. And then they give points for each thing. So it's extensive and it takes, I'd say probably about 18 months to go through their process. You know, part of why, part of why we were really excited to chat with you and part of why we do this series, Mom Bosses with Mom Brain is, um, you know, I, I think that a lot, a lot of moms out there become either impassioned about something or newly creative about something or been brainstorming a idea for a business for years and years and years and children have gotten in the way and maybe they're now thinking they finally have time to do it. Restaurants and hospitality and entertainment, like that just I feel like is one that feels so ripe for people. But there's a lot of there's a lot of unsexy parts to the hospitality business that people don't talk about. So just in this one case, like, like why did you want the zero waste certification? Do you think it's something people looking to go into the industry should be doing? Is it helpful to you in some way? Or is it more just like to commit to this very valuable cause? You know, I'm a Californian. I honestly have been so <laughs> When I came to the East Coast, I was like, wait, everyone doesn't compost. And, you know, those sorts of that mindset was just how I was born and realizing that no one really was doing it in on the East Coast or in New York and hoping to be sort of a beacon for people to realize that you actually can be environmentally conscious and run a profitable, successful and delicious restaurant um, and help people at home. I mean, to see how many people we touch to try and bring those practices even home. I think for moms who are thinking about businesses, I think first and foremost, it has to be authentic to you. If it's something you care about, then you just got to do it. And people would say, oh, it's so hard. How do you get everyone on board? And I would just say, look, it matters to me. And I think that our community, it resonated with. And I think it actually helped find even better team members who cared about something bigger. But you did mention something that I think is super important, which is it's really hard to be a mom and a chef and restaurateur. It is incredibly difficult physically, um, you know, and you're also similar to being in entertainment. You're on stage all the time, which Mm -hmm. going through the process of being pregnant, having a baby, coming back, I mean – I will say I'm I'm a very even keel, happy-go-lucky kind of impulsive person. Um, It's the Aries in me. And really coming back the first couple of weeks for maternity leave, and I really took a proper maternity leave, which is like almost unheard of in our business. Um, It was the first time I ever did not feel like myself and sort of felt like a stranger in my own company, which having nothing to do with anyone else and just your own you know, your own headspace and, you know, all of the the conflict that comes along with, you know, being a first time new mom. So I do think our industry is really, I keep saying it goes through waves, like getting women as leaders in a kitchen was a big wave about 10 years ago. Um, Now I feel like the next wave is how, how are you a parent in this business? Um, That just isn't geared towards that, which is why women have struggled to be leaders and business owners for so long in our business. What are what are some uh, tips and and advice and things that you have learned and are learning cuz your your child is is less than a year old. So right. still you're, so you're still you're new to it. All of a sudden then there's COVID. There's COVID. You're like you have all this stuff going on. So is there what what are what are um, little advice tips that you can um, give us in terms of finding balance? First and foremost, sense of humor. People say things they don't mean to, but 
you know, guests, suppliers, people dropping off deliveries, they make a lot of comments, um, which, you know, you just kind of have to figure out, you know, yes, you want to put boundaries on certain behaviors, but you also have to be able to kind of let some of that go and not take it so personally. Um, you know, I think you have to be honest with your team and be willing to be vulnerable. And I also feel like, you know, you might lose people and you have to know that it's going to be a filter for people, whether or not they're going to be okay with a boss that has a little bit more unusual hours or, you know, like I said, I took a real maternity leave and, you know, you do have to be flexible sometimes in a way that, again, is less typical in our industry. Um, you know, we definitely had people who weren't that comfortable and it didn't really work for them. And for me, I just chose to see it as, all right, like I'm filtering for the people that fit me. And ultimately as an entrepreneur and a business owner, you have to have a team that's, you know, on your same wavelength and that wants to go down, you know, the river the way you want to go down. And as a mom, it's different. It's not the same if you don't have kids and it's not the same if you don't have any other obligations in your life. Um, And that's okay. I always say like, it's as, it's more important sort of doesn't really matter as much who's in the right seat. It's about who's on the bus and you want the right people on the bus. You'll figure out sort of where everyone's sitting over time, but it's okay. It's almost more important to know who shouldn't be in the bus um, than to be obsessed with who's in what seat. And I think a lot of times we do the opposite, right? We're obsessed Mm -hmm. with sort of who's doing what role, what their job title is. And I think, um, yeah, when when you're a mom, I think you have to really be thoughtful and honest with what you're capable of doing and what you're not and what it what it means to work with you and whatever your your lifestyle is. And I think that starts also with being honest with yourself and and setting those boundaries that make you happy. I I hear a lot of moms looking back with regret and saying, you know, I went back to work 3 days later or, you know, pushed myself into doing that event, you know, till 3 a.m. and I just, you know, hated every minute of it or like missing a kid's you know, something for your child. I just think being honest with yourself about what matters and what's important and then being able to be really upfront with your team and and find a mutual ground. You know, I think so often we try and conform to what others are doing or what we think others expect. And I think having more open dialogue often opens up a lot more options than you probably realize. I mean, I think the level of conscientiousness that that, that what you've just said is um, exemplifies is part of why having mothers in power positions and throughout networks of, of, you know, professional communities is really important because it's not, it's not just about you being able to excel. It's not just about your company being able to continue to grow and be profitable. It is about making sure that the team is well taken care of and the team is working cohesively and knowing when you have to boot someone who's not really part of the same culture and, um, and, or doesn't fit the businesses. Like you said, you know, moving in, moving going down in the same way on the stream. Um, but I, it also is reminding me of, you know, at the very start of COVID, I think before anyone else realized how tremendous um, and seismic the ramifications for the hospitality industry could be with the resulting closures and things that we all did to to um, to flatten the curve early on, you um, you know you were really one of the first voices going out and and helping to raise awareness around um, hospitality workers and what tremendous and long term layoffs meant for people who do not have any kind of fallback system who are not um, you know in a position where missing a paycheck is something that they can that their family can just roll with and um, and you actually started an organization called Roar which is um, relief opportunities for all restaurants and tell people about Roar tell people 
sort of like that was the beginning. We're four months in now. How how is uh, from the inside looking out? So many of us uh, think fondly about reentering about like our favorite restaurants, our favorite bars, our favorite places to convene, not really necessarily understanding what um, what those business owners have been going through and thinking about during the intervening months. What um what are you thinking right now and how has it sort of evolved if it's evolved at all? Yeah, so it was really the Wednesday after we closed the restaurant, March 18th, when it really clicked that everyone I knew was fired, basically everyone on their team. You know, people at a 1,000 employees went down two. I mean, just drastic, drastic numbers and, you know, overnight. And realizing that the public writers and lawmakers had no clue what was happening. And in talking with everyone, it was, you know, COVID, the curve, hospitals, which totally makes sense, but sort of seeing this second tidal wave that um, no one really realized started to really scare me and a lot of my colleagues. So I ended up helping found, um, I was one of the founding members of uh, the Independent Restaurant Coalition, as well as Roar. So the IRC works on the national level, um, and Roar works in New York. And it's essentially a for us bias organization filled with restaurant owners for the IRC around the country and Roar in New York, um, really trying to lobby for full, full scope restructuring. I mean, essentially, we are what happened to the banks in 2008, except we didn't do anything to bring it upon us. It's sort of this very external force. Um, you know, I think it was, uh, it's strange to think we can't work from home. You know, the vast majority of our employee and, and team base, as you said, you know, really depend on this income. We are, I think, somewhere around 10 to 15 percent of national employment. You know, in New York, we employ almost a million people in the state. 10 percent of restaurants are concentrated in New York. You know, it's huge, the ramifications. And I think what we're very afraid of is twofold. First and foremost, that you know, this is potentially structural un- unemployment at a scale that this country has not seen in a century um, and is going at the moment, I think, very uncured. You know, PPP doesn't really address our industry that, again, you know, we can't work from home. We have been bleeding cash based on the closures to date, and there's no sign of it stopping. Social distancing is going to suppress our business you know, to a really drastic degree for 12 to 18 months. I mean, I keep saying to people, what we're facing is, imagine I said to you, 50% of your income is gone right now, except you are not allowed to change any of your expenses. You can't move, you can't switch apartments, your kids have to go to the same school, you have to shop at the same grocery store. You are not allowed to change your cost structure, but we're taking 50%, if not more, of your business. Um, you know, and I'm someone who, not only do I work in restaurants, but I, I eat out seven days a week and I've probably eaten restaurant food I can count on one or two hands since COVID started. So, wow. you know, it just shows you the the change. I mean, people are much more insular. They're home. They're away. A lot of people have left New York. Um, a lot of that data is starting to trickle in that people are really relocating. They're with their families. Um it's been brutal. And we've had colleagues die. I have friends in the industry who died of COVID. I mean, it has been to say it's been brutal just doesn't even capture it. And the sad part, like I said, is it's going to be long term. I mean, a year and a half, two years of your life in a, in some ways is incredibly long to be going through this. So it's uh, it's bleak. I'm I'm not going to lie. It is bleak. Has there been any um, movement through, you know, through sort of the collective voices that you've put together? Has there been any movement on the 
state or federal level to try to remedy any part of what you know what the what the hospitality industry is going through so federally we just introduced about two weeks ago um a bicameral bipartisan uh bill called the restaurants act i urge Mm -hmm. if you go to um saverestaurants.com they have a very quick easy automated email you know you fill in your name sort of two second thing um, to try and get uh, senators and Congress people to sign on, co-sponsor, and support the bill to provide um, federal aid, which is absolutely essential. The states can't, you know, this, every single state is bankrupt right now, and they're not getting federal aid. So at the moment, you know, the money has to come from somewhere, and it has to come from the federal government. And it'll be the first time that our industry, despite being the second largest employer in the entire country, be the first time that our industry ever received um, any sort of financial aid, which is mission critical right now. Ironically, we're asking for $120 billion, which is approximately what's left over in the PPP. I keep seeing the number. Uh, I think today is the day that the fund is closing. I'm like, great, let's just shift it over. You know, <laughs> let's pass the Restaurant Act. You know, we've got it. We're, we're good. Um, you know, we're unlike other industries. Like I said, I mean, we don't open and close that easily. We can't work from home. We represent so much employment and it's critical. And it's employment of a part of our society, you know, that needs it. It's a very, our industry is a very big vehicle towards social mobility. And I, mm-hmm. I really, I, you know, obviously I'm fighting hard along with my colleagues to preserve that. What about in terms of, I mean, I've heard all sorts of really creative ways that people are still getting food from restaurants and getting takeout and doing like, one, one of my um, dearest, dearest friends um, has a few restaurants in New York and he's he'll FaceTime me sometimes while he's just like, had dropping off orders and he literally will put the 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 um bag near the door steps away i don't know grubhub or some sort of like service or somebody comes takes it they sort of like talk to each other from i mean it's very interesting all the creative ways that people are still trying to trying to eat at restaurants Everyone's being creative, but it's nowhere close to being even net neutral i mean that's part of the problem is how long can these businesses you know not even break even. And I think that's the big question. You know, PPP was passed when everyone thought this was a four week to eight week problem, right? And for Mm -hmm. restaurants, it's an 18 month problem. It's, you know, the creativity is there. I think what's interesting is a lot of my mom friends who are chefs and restaurant owners as well across the country, all of us keep saying, man, I'm just so glad I have a baby because it's the bright spot. It's the laugh. It makes you remember like there's life, there's something bigger. And, you know, even if you have to close your restaurant for good, you know, you can start again, you can do it. And, you know, those are the conversations a lot of people are having right now, which is heartening and disheartening sort of at the same time. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, um, it's everything is in the reframing sort of, as you just said. And it's funny because Bali, when you went back to work after Gray was born, it was, it was stressful to try to figure out how all these pieces that could in their own, take up 24 hours of your day, we're going to slot together. And now it's, I mean, obviously it was always a, a blessing and always so grateful, but it's even more thrown into relief. Like what a, what a joy to have um, that perspective given to you. But I, we won't even have time to talk about it here, but something that you personally have to offer, I think is, you know, you, you have career transitioned before you were a lawyer in another lifetime, which is like mind boggling to me. You know, it's so, it's so, uh, your story is really impressive and really inspiring. And I think, um, if you could leave the listeners of this podcast with one, one tip from like 
a pivotal moment in in your life, like a, a transition point in life, a pivot moment in life, one lesson that you took from doing that for yourself in your past career and now where we are today, where hopefully you won't be transitioning out of restaurants because I need to keep <laughs> keep eating there. But but um, but you know what 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 mindset did you have in that transition period, or what what advice would you share with yourself now? But looking back at what you did for yourself even then, I think there's a few things. First and foremost, I think women have such strong intuition. I think especially moms. I think if only you listen to that voice and really trust your gut. Um, I'm very much, I say impulse, but it's more than that. It's that intuition. I think trusting mm-hmm. your gut and and listening to that voice when you know how you feel about something and and being truthful to that. Because at the end of the day, you know, you only get this one life, you only get a certain amount of hours on this earth. And, you know, you do really have to think about how you're spending your time and what what's happening in your life. Um, mm-hmm. And with that also jump, you know, you'll figure out how to fly, you'll figure out how to do it, just jump. I think Joanne Wilson is a very dear friend of mine, and um, also a mom, and she always pushed me um, saying there's never the right time to do anything. You just if you want kids, go have them. There's no special opening that's like, oh, these nine months are perfect. And like every mother you talk to, you know, everyone has their journey, how they want to be a mom, how they want to work. There's no one way to cut it, but delay is often um, really the worst way to approach it. Just jump, you'll figure it out, trust your gut. Um, and, and don't be afraid. You can always make another decision. I think so often we get really stuck in the fear of what happens. You know, I even had someone today who said, well, if in two years I look back and I didn't like that choice, then what should I do? And I keep saying, you can't predict the future. (laughs) None of us can. So you really only have how you feel, um, what you think is the best in that moment, but not making a decision is a decision. I think it's worse Mm -hmm. than trying Mm -hmm. something trying a new job, trying a new venture, you know, adapting, pivoting. Um, Even if you find your industry that speaks to you, trying a new role. I am the biggest proponent also of side hustles, testing something out and not being afraid to get that feedback. Um, It's better than not trying. And I think you'll always regret so much more being paralyzed by that fear or that insecurity or that concern of two years from now. And I always feel you're going to look back and be grateful at least that you jumped. That's wise words, wise words, and that's and that's really what these episodes are about. Where you know it's it's all so many people have an idea out there, and it's just that fear of jumping exactly what you're in that there's never a right time. And my parents always said to me, "It's only a mistake if you let it be a mistake. Just because something doesn't work out as you want it to, and just because a pandemic shuts down your entire industry, doesn't mean you have to sit and take it. And it also doesn't mean that it has to lead to nowhere." You're the one that chooses whether it's a mistake or if it's an opportunity or a growth experience, but only inaction is going to lead there, which is so funny because my husband laughed. I mean, the second all this happened, I mean, I've never spoken to a lawmaker ever in my life. I am I vote and I care a lot about voting, um, but, you know, I'm not particularly political and, you know, I just really jumped in and I said, well, I can't do nothing because to me that will be the mistake watching everything really come down and not being part of trying for a solution, no matter how daunting. It's the same when you make a mistake or something doesn't work out as you want. You're the one that gets to choose to, you know, pick your bootstraps up and figure out an option B, C, D. Um, Doesn't really matter 
you know, doesn't really matter that it didn't work out as you planned. It's only a mistake if you let it. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. <laughs> I love that conversation because she's she's real, she's raw, she's thinking about I me. Mean, this is somebody who is obviously very focused not only on the environment with um, really pushing for very difficult to achieve the, ze- the certified zero waste restaurant and especially in New York City, by the way. Um, but I also think, you know, this idea of seeing a problem and let me be part of a remedy, a solution is extremely inspiring. Um, but then at the same time to be able to offer hope and inspiration for those of you, those of us who have ideas out there and, you know, this kind of life, life doesn't stop. And even though things get hard, that idea of it's only a mistake if you let it. So I'm very, very grateful for all of her wise, wise words, experience and um, candor. I'm always so grateful for her advice because she is so wise. And part of it's that she, you know, she's our age, but she feels like she's lived you know, 10 lifetimes. And I think that gives a lot of perspective. And, and I, I equally was, was really inspired and impressed to hear the 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 uplifting side or the hopeful side of what has been understandably um, a really traumatic experience uh, for you know for obvious reasons um, and definitely do check out that granola guys and the checks snack mix I'm not I'm not leading you astray it is sick and twisted delicious um, all right you guys that's it for today's mom boss story something to take inspiration from something to help you blossom your own idea and take the plunge if it's if it's just been calling your name for too long one day too long um be sure to take this episode um and hopefully share it with a mom friend who you think might be interested in hearing it as well if you did love the episode and you were inspired by the conversation please go ahead and leave us a five-star rating or a little comment a little review you have no idea how much it helps us and we really appreciate it all right guys next time bye guys bye